You just arrived for your professor's office hours with 10 minutes left. There's time for one question, and your professor has to answer quickly, but clearly and accurately so you understand. Welcome to Cali Laudables, your audio law professor. Today you ask Professor Arthur Best of the University of Denver College of Law why so much character evidence about a defendant gets admitted when the law supposedly rejects the propensity inference. You're asking a really uh, good question. A lot of people ask this question. You're saying uh, evidence law hates the propensity inference. Evidence law rejects character evidence so much, uh, but if that's the rule, how come so much character evidence does get in? What's going on with a general rule that says evidence of character stays out and then lots of elaborations that seem to say character evidence gets in? So we're talking about a discrepancy between a general rule and some important exceptions associated with that rule. Why would evidence law ever develop in this way where we profess uh, that a certain category of evidence information about a person's character introduced to show that the person acted in conformity with that character. We profess that that kind of evidence is bad, and then we let it in lots of times. Why would that happen? There must be some ambivalence, both of the common law and under the federal rules. What is the source of that ambivalence? Maybe we can get at that by asking ourselves, What's the reason for the main rule in the first place? Why did this rule against propensity evidence ever catch on? So in the federal rules, rule 404A, the general rule is you're prohibited from letting a jury know what kind of person a person is to try to persuade the jury that the person acted in conformity with that character on a certain occasion. There are some good reasons to reject that kind of evidence. One of them is that the concept of character is very vague. Who's to say what it means to be generous? That's a a very vague, broad expression. Uh, Who's to say what it means to be, even to be violent? That uh, could cover a whole range of behavior. So the, the concepts we have for character traits are very general. Then, even if the concepts we had for character traits were kind of specific, it's very hard uh, to believe that people always act in accordance with their character. So even if you really knew what generous meant, uh, how much would that help you know whether a person had really acted in a generous way on a specific occasion? So we are nervous about proof of character to support the idea that because a person has a certain kind of character, that person acted a certain way at a certain time. That's the keep-out propensity inference argument. On the other side, there's the embarrassing fact for evidence law that everybody always in real life does believe in the propensity inference. Everybody in real life does pay attention to that. If you wanted to hire someone to drive your car somewhere and you thought that somebody was generally careless or generally reckless or generally disrespectful of property, you would t- you'd take that into account in deciding whether that's a good person to drive a car. So we have the general rule, character evidence has only weak probative value, therefore it stays out, but we do have uh, a common sense feeling 
that most people have some amount of respect for the propensity inference. Where does evidence law resolve this ambivalence? It resolves it uh, by mostly giving criminal defendants an opportunity to tolerate this kind of crummy evidence. We generally say that uh, prosecutors can't use it. We always say that in civil cases it stays out, but in one important area we let it in, and that is criminal cases and uh, almost exclusively under the control of defendants. So, to protect criminal defendants, uh, Rule 404A1 under the federal rules says that the defendant is entitled to introduce positive evidence about the defendant's character traits. Even though this evidence is only weakly probative, we let criminal defendants introduce it. It has to be evidence of a trait that is pertinent to the prosecution. Now, in federal courts, that can be as general as law-abiding or peaceful. Some state courts require that the trait be a little more specifically connected to the charged crime. So the defendant gets to let the jury know that the defendant has good character. This is probably rooted in an idea of mercy for defendants. It's also meant, uh, you might say, to protect juries from an unpleasant surprise. The unpleasant surprise would be, hey, I'm a juror, I just convicted someone of a crime, and now I find out that this person is well known in his or her community to be one of the greatest people who ever lived. Maybe if I had known that, it would have affected my assessment of the credibility of some other witnesses. It might have affected my belief in the prosecution's case. So we uh, set things up so that juries are protected from that unpleasant surprise. We allow defendants to let juries know that defendants have good character. Another way that we let defendants control the use of character evidence is we let them introduce evidence that the victim of a crime of aggression has a violent character. When the criminal defendant alleges self-defense, we allow the criminal defendant to inform the jury that the victim might have been the first aggressor because the victim has an aggressive character. That's the same weak propensity inference that evidence law generally likes to reject, but evidence law lets it in in these rare cases where to uh, help protect defendants from improper convictions, we tolerate a kind of weak evidence. Now, when a defendant lets in evidence of his or her own character, the prosecution is then allowed to rebut with counterproof of the same kind, proof that the defendant's character is bad. When the defendant introduces evidence about a victim's character, the prosecution is allowed to introduce good evidence about the victim's character, evidence that the victim has a peaceful nature. By the way, under the federal rules, if the defendant introduces evidence of the victim's character for aggressiveness, then the prosecution can respond with evidence about the defendant's own character, the defendant's character for aggressiveness. Usually the only time a defendant's character can be brought to the attention of the jury is if the defendant brings up the defendant's own character. Then the prosecution can rebut that. But when the defendant chooses to introduce evidence about the victim's character, 
in those circumstances under the federal rules, the prosecution can counter with evidence about the defendant's character too. One last wrinkle, in homicide cases, if a defendant uses any kind of proof to support the idea that the victim was the first aggressor, then the prosecution can introduce evidence about the victim's non-aggressive character. So you have all these ways in which character evidence, mostly under the control of the defendant, does get in in criminal cases, even though that fits under the overarching claim evidence law makes, which is that the propensity evidence and character evidence is weak. Two other points. With regard to one particular kind of conduct, namely, did a person testify truthfully in court? With regard to that kind of conduct, evidence law always allows the propensity inference, and that happens under Rule 609 and 608 of the federal rules, which are a specific exception to the general ban that Rule 404 has to propensity inference evidence. And the last thing, Rule 404B, that let, uh, let, lets in specific information about knowledge or past conduct or modus operandi, that gets in not because it shows that the defendant has bad character, but because it's information that has independent relevance to the questions at trial, even if it might also show something about a defendant's character. So that's a quick effort to explain the ambivalence evidence law has uh, which we see when we say that one, propensity evidence stays out, but two, propensity evidence gets in a lot of the time. Hope this helps. Bundables are produced and distributed by Cali, that's the Center for Computer Assisted Legal Instruction. You can find more Laudables at www.cali.org/laudables. And you can send your questions and feedback to laudables at cali.org. That's L-A-W-D-I-B-L-E-S at cali with a C dot org. The Laudable theme music is Ask Me No Question by Learning Music. Laudables are for educational purposes only. Please seek an attorney if you need legal advice.